What is going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 12 of the Half Price Concessions podcast, a friendly debate about who is the greatest driver of our lifetimes, featuring the one and only Buddy Payne. Before we get into the meat and potatoes of today's episode, I want to say thank you to everybody and anybody who has listened to any of our episodes previous or if this is the first episode of the Half Price Concessions podcast you're listening to, I just want to say thank you for being here. You could have picked anywhere else to be, and you chose to hang out with a couple of good old boys that are just talking racing. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Your listening means the world to us. Also, want to let you guys know, we are now available on five apps for podcasts. There's five different ways you can listen on your smartphone or your tablet. We've been on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Stitcher for a couple, you know, a couple weeks now, but now we are also available on Castbox as well as Pocket Cast. So there's five different apps, whichever one you choose to download, that support the Half Price Concessions podcast, and you can listen to previous episodes or brand new episodes. So be sure and go check out one of those apps and subscribe to us on whichever app you choose, or if you choose to just listen to us on the desktop website, www.anchor.fm slash HPC podcast, that's perfectly fine too. We're glad to have you listening, however you listen. On to the topic of today's episode, the greatest drivers of our lifetimes. A lot of these sports shows and talk shows and radio shows, they like to debate about who's the greatest of all time. And me and Buddy, for all the things that we disagree on, we both agree. It is literally impossible to compare drivers, athletes, whatnot, from different eras. Because different eras are completely, they're different. That's why they're called different. Richard Petty's seven championships come at a completely different time than Dale Earnhardt's seven championships. And that's just in NASCAR. Think about sprint car racing, how much it's changed since the 70s and the 80s up to now into the 2010s. Think about drag racing, how much it has changed. So comparing eras to us is just completely unfair. There's no truly objective way in our minds to do it. So what we decided to do is make a list. We've both made an individual list of, uh, we've done a top five of the greatest drivers of our lifetime. And we're taking into effect not just NASCAR, but also IndyCar, Formula One, dirt racing, both sprint cars and late models, any kind of discipline out there, as far as it's got four wheels, that's what we included in our top five list. And we're probably going to disagree, but you know what? It's going to be a ton of fun, and we're not going to scream and holler or have no profanity cussing each other out. It's just for fun. And in the middle of all that, we also will have a nod and a salute to our local greatest drivers of our lifetimes. The drivers that we watched as kids growing up, as teenagers, and still as adults that get the job done and have had incredible success on the local levels we didn't want to shut them out by any means just because they didn't quite get to the stage that some of these other drivers did. So buckle up and strap in. We're going to give you a ton of good stuff. And if you're a race fan, I know that you're going to appreciate this debate. Episode 12 of the Half Price Concessions podcast, the debate of who is the greatest driver of our lifetimes is coming up in just a few moments. This episode of the Half Price Concessions podcast is brought to you in part by our friends at Performance Center Racing Warehouse. 
Located in Statesville, North Carolina, Performance Center Racing Warehouse provides racers with just about everything you need to go asphalt late model racing, including being the home of the PRW chassis. From a full-blown fabrication shop to services that can help you get your race car reclipped if you've been in the wall one too many times or you just need to get your racing program straightened out. Give Roger Johnson and the folks at Performance Center Racing Warehouse the chance to earn your racing business by calling them today at 704-838-1400 and visit them online at performancecenter.com. That's P-E-R-F-O-R-M-A-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.com. Back on episode 12 of the Half Price Concessions podcast, Tyler Williams and Buddy Payne back with you once again. And Buddy, I think we've done more research for this episode than we did any book report feels in like high, school. high school. Yes, I feel like I'm in high school all over again. But, but this was fun though. This was I this wanted was to do mo- this. Yeah. yeah, this is the most fun research I've ever done. Like my wife was looking at me one night when I was on the couch on my smartphone. Uh, and my laptop out, you know, Googling all these stats and stuff like, like, you know, are you done yet? Are you going to come to bed yet? And I'm like, I'm having fun yeah. oh, looking yeah. this up. I, I, I had to discipline myself to stop looking because, uh, like the first night the battery on the laptop goes dead and I'm not even through my third, uh, driver that I'm looking up there. It, it was there. Once you start digging into that, there's so much, so much information out there. So the concept for this is the greatest drivers of our lifetime, which I, I said a little bit in the opener that we didn't want to do a GOAT comparison because of all the things you and I disagree on, and we're going to disagree more as we go down <laughs> this list, but we agreed on we hate the GOAT comparisons because they're just not fair. So tell me a little bit about what led you into this idea that you texted me uh, for this episode. Yes. Uh, well, our last episode was right before you and I were both going to, I was going to the World Finals, you're going to the uh, North-South shootout. And uh, at the World Finals, some history was made. Um, three classes at the World Finals. You got the late model sprint cars and uh, the big block modifieds. And in the modifieds and sprint cars, the championship was right down to the wire. I mean, we're talking single-digit points separating the two uh, champ. Uh, contenders for the championship going into that race and the typical guy the more dominant guy did not win the championship matt shepherd and the big block modifieds did not win his championship and he's won i believe six um championships so far and then uh, of course donnie shots in the sprint cars he's a 10-time champion um he did not win his champion so it just got me to thinking i mean i'm not gonna say it's a you know changing of the guard or anything like that because those guys are still very competitive and will probably be contenders next year but you know it's just it's nice to see a little bit of parody and it just got me thinking man i've seen this guy win so many it's nice to see somebody new and then i started thinking all the other guys you know in our uh, childhoods and you know just growing up as race fans just the guys that stand out when you say when somebody asks you about nascar when you were a kid who's the first name that comes to your mind and he's going to come to your mind because i saw him win a lot you know he was always up front or you know whatever the case may be and yes i hate good comparisons and all that stuff because it's impossible too many variables but i would like I just have that conversation of who's the best guy you've seen in said discipline of yeah. racing. Yeah. I think this is the kind of thing that we started this whole thing for. 
Yes. Honestly, because we hate hearing it on the radio when it's a good comparison. <laughs> oh. We're like, we're going to do it our own way. Oh, whatever. There's, <laughs> there's no news at ESPN. We're going to see who's better, LeBron or Michael James. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. So, before we get to our kind of national, uh, international, if you will, top five, we wanted to uh, give a special nod to kind of the local drivers that we saw growing up as, as kids and, and some that we still see race uh, to this day. And we didn't want to hold something back from them just because – they didn't have the funds or the means to get up onto that national level because honestly, all these guys that are on our national list start at the local level and they they got the breaks or they had the money or the backing and they got to that level. But there's for every one on our national list, there's probably a hundred of them that had talent but just didn't make it to that level. So we didn't want to we didn't want to completely shut out our local guys. So. Uh, I've got a couple of guys, and you've got a couple of guys, and we have one mutual one that we agree on. Okay. So we'll start off with our, I call it kind of local heroes or the local weekend warriors that we saw growing up. So, uh, buddy, since we're in your house, I'm going I'm <laughs> to yield. You go ahead and throw the first All one. All right. I'll, for the local guys, this is in no particular order. Um, but I will start with uh, the king of the modifieds today, Speedway, Brian King. He was the man from when I very first started going to Ace, and you know, even to just a couple of years ago when he was still running full time uh, with most wins, uh, most championships in that division. Um, it, it, it was a given. I mean, they would uh, start him in the rear and five laps man he's leading i mean he was just most dominant and you can say you know whatever about the car or whatever but i mean the dude's got talent i don't care how good your car is and uh, i i remember going over there because uh, his dad larry and my dad they were kind of buds and i remember going over there and brian is sitting in the car they got you know up on jackson and stuff he's sitting in the car hand on steering wheel. i mean he's just laser focused and he's just going through the motions He's got he's got a timer to his right, and he's going doing the turning motions, and he had like muscle memory memorized when to turn in at you know going in the corner and stuff like that, and it, just seeing that I was like this is why that guy is so stinking dominant. He was he was a picture of precision. I remember <clears throat> Wednesday nights at a speedway when I was working for the track. He was the only guy I ever saw bring. Uh, Robert Isley would come with him, and they would bring the laser. Yeah to set up and i was kind of sitting there thinking i was like you know it's cool he's getting lap times but then over time i was like it's the only guy i saw do it yeah he he wanted those lap times and the laser's way more reliable than the crew chief stopwatch because you're not exact on that he wanted the exact times he was that that was his measure that was his i guess level of dedication hey uh it was one of the big modified races they did at the end of the year i think some of the guys from bowman gray came down and whatnot and um i remember looking in his car and he had um a little digital display right there right above the steering wheel and and it would flash the lap times every time it'd come up you know some of your guys you know your your spotter will tell you that or something and some guys just don't even pay Some attention to it. it. They, yeah, yeah, they don't want to hear it, but it would pop up, and I think it showed like the last five laps and stuff. And so, just that amount of just dedication to something on a local level, it paid off. I mean, the guys—he's the best modified driver ever at A Speedway. Well, since we're speaking A Speedway, <laughs> I'll stick in that same category. My first local hero is Barry Beggarly, who we were lucky enough to have on uh, the most previous episode. It's hard to beat a guy who won two national titles, uh, only got to win a NASCAR national title and an ASA national title, four track championships at Ace, four at Orange County, a South Boston title, Franklin County. Um, and I think what I admired the most about him was in 93, 
when he was running for that NASCAR national title with Dennis Setzer, who would go on to race for a living, he had done as much as he could do at Ace and Orange County and stuff, getting points. So he had to, he, he went and sought out Dennis to race against him. Obviously he needed to do that to, to ensure the national championship, but he actually was willing to travel and go to Tri-County and Hickory tracks that weren't his home stables and go after him head to head. And I just, I, I really admired that. That's not something that everybody does nowadays. So I, I, I respected that about him that he was like, all right, I've done what I need to do. Let's go make sure he doesn't and not in a dirty way, but yeah. just, I need to beat him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one, when I think very barely, I, it was either South Boston or Martinsville. It was one of the big late model races, and they did the the halfway break, and you know, ten minutes, you know, do whatever you want to to the car. And I remember he was leading, and like, he was the man to beat. He was leading. They pulled him in, you know, lined everybody up on pit road. They jacked the car up, put it on jack stands. He got out of the car, went and got something to drink, and he sat on the pit wall. They did not touch that car. Yeah, they they, they might have. <laughs> My, like air pressure adjustment or something like that but he sat on the wall 10 minutes got back in the car they lowered on jack stands and went off and won the thing he did that at ace uh i remember some of the practices when he had made his comeback uh where you see some cars come in and as soon as the car hits the box 10 guys jump on it and they got you know the, the wrenches and they're making chassis adjustments Barry Bergley had what looked like your grandpa's beach chair <laughs> sitting in the hauler, and maybe his son would play with the air pressure a little bit, but if the car was where he wanted it, I ain't going to, you know, why are we going to sit here and play with it? Yeah, like, the track ain't changing. <laughs> yeah, so that's just that old man wisdom. So Barry Bergley along the Ace Speedway lines is, I just, you know, Black 82, when you were at any track in the area, I when he it. was there, you were like, yep, him, Wayne Patterson, or David Triplett, they're going to be up toward the front. That's so. right. All right, who's your next one? Uh, next, I'm going to shift gears, uh, literally, and I'm going drag racing and uh, Todd Tuttero. Um, some of y'all might know him from uh, his NHRA fame now, but uh, Todd Tuttero uh, used to run the Big Dog Shootout um, at Piedmont Dragstrip and used to love going to the Big Dog. And I'm not saying he's you know the greatest ever any of that kind of stuff but to me he just it just stands out there for a stretch he was the man to beat i mean it, it, he was always setting you know not quick time i guess be, he was always p1 uh for qualifying he has two uh the track records at piedmont um fastest overall uh he ran a 367 in a pro mod that's moving right at, in the eighth of a mile man that is kicking uh and then in the big dog cars which are a little different than the pro mods uh he ran a 373 um and that and those those records still hold up to the day. Uh, but I mean, he won multiple championships of the big dog championships. He won just about every big dog race. It seemed like um, there for a while, uh, so much that he got enough recognition uh, to move on. Um, him and uh, Chris Rini had some good battles back in the day. You know, Travis Harvey would give him a, a run for his money. But but Tedero was when you showed up, man. You know that's who you had to beat. And um, yeah, and another local guy kind of making you know that that step up it's great to see him having some success on the nhra uh he's running strictly pro mods now i know he kind of uh sniffed a few of the different divisions but he's kind of found his home in the pro mods and and is is very competitive totoro to me it's funny because piedmont gets something that or drag racing in general gets something that we don't get at asphalt or dirt short, uh, circle track and it's diversity in the crowd yeah yeah it's, it's you go to piedmont it's usually half and half half white half black and you got some hispanic and stuff mixed in there too and Totoro was the first guy I seen at a racetrack 
that had the black people and the white yeah. people pulling for him. And it was just, you just don't get that at the other tracks. I wish it was a little more diverse, but you know, you go to the drag strip and you hear, you see or hear Tutoro's name mm-hmm. called across the speaker system or hear him in the, in the box. It, it generates a response that you just don't get from a lot of people. And with the the rivalry, if you want to call it that, there for a little while between him and uh, Chris Rini, it was the Ford Chevrolet thing. Now, of course, we both know there ain't nothing Ford or Chevrolet about those cars. It's all custom-built <laughs> stuff. The but sticker on exactly, the car. <laughs> exactly, which ain't even made in America probably. But, uh, yeah, he, he – for a while, he was he would run the Mustang body, an older Mustang, like a 60s model. Uh, and then Chris Rina had the 69 Camaro, that, that red, uh, burgundy, and silver. And then, of course, the blacked out uh, Ford. And so, you know, drag racing, you still had the Ford Chevrolet stuff going on. But, yeah, it, it was definitely a crowd reaction. When that, that name was said, the, the crowd reacted. Most of the time, it was cheers, too. Yeah, pretty popular. My next one, I'm actually <laughs> going to go a little bit of A-Speedway, but more Hooters Pro Cup. When I was looking through guys that I saw race as a kid uh, that weren't the local guys at A Speedway, Bobby Gill popped up to me because I remember my first Pro Cup race back when the Hooters Pro Cup was a, I mean, it was a big deal. Yep. It was it was Cup racing for short track guys. Todd Massey got into it. Robert Turner, uh, Jason York, Keith Woody, a lot of these local guys. Jay Fogelman. This was this was where they could step up and run for bigger purses that they weren't going to get to cup because they just didn't have the money. And Bobby Gill popped up just because I remember every pro cup race we went to looking for that black. It was always a black number five. And I mean, Bobby was going to be tough to beat. And I actually looked up his stats. Not only is he still the all time, I guess he'll forever be the all time wins leader now because the car, the, the pro cup is now car store and it's not the cars it used to be, but 46 wins on the tour from 99 to 09. And those were 34, 33 oh, races yeah. a year. A tough, tough competition. Absolutely. I mean, they ran, they ran everywhere, I and mean, they were they were older style cars. They were heavy cars. Speed chan- or Speed Vision, I should say. I'm going <laughs> to use the correct term. Speed Vision had them on TV, so they were they were easy to get to actually watch the races. Um, and I mean, Bobby was Bobby was tough. And then that one year in '02. Of 22 starts he made, he won 14. I don't care if you run in baby carriages or dirt bikes. When you have a winning percentage like that on touring series competition, that's something to say. So Bobby Gill was one that uh, I wanted to give some love to. But then the last one is one that we both agree on, and we are going dirt. Yes, yes. Uh, Ricky Weeks is – The Rutherford Rock. Yes, that's right. Um Ricky Weeks, um, the Carolina Clash series, the Super Late Model series, uh, they started, I think it was in 2000, maybe 2001, and uh, my dad and I, we both worked at a dirt track in Elkin, North Carolina called uh, Friendship Speedway, and Ricky would run there, uh, they ran Super Late Models weekly, that was just a regular class, and we had a great field of cars, you know, him, Phil Hall, uh, the Smiths would show up, Freddie and Jeff, um, Billy Hicks. Uh, just to name a few, and uh, Ricky, man, he was just the guy to beat in the weekly stuff. And then when this class, uh, it was really for local guys. It was really like the first like good tour for opportunity for the local guys because a lot of tracks then were running super late models as a part of the regular program, and so kind of bring them all together, and then let's go hit up these different tracks. So it, was, it started out as a great idea, great tour. And Ricky, man, he just that that was just right in his wheelhouse because they they visit a lot of tracks that he knew, and they, they would dip down you know tracks in Georgia, a little bit uh, Tennessee, but most of it was North Carolina, South Carolina, hence Carolina Clash. 
but from 2004 to 2008, uh, he won. Uh, he's second all time on the wins. Excuse me, 37 wins. He's a five-time class champion. And that was from 04 to 08. Uh, won all those in a row, and just wherever he showed up, that of course, Dirt Lake Mall. Everybody's number one. It seems like, but yeah, that, but that <laughs> number one, uh, he was the man to beat. Um, I, I remember watching him. Uh, Mike Duvall and uh, Freddie Smith at Cherokee. Uh, back, this was the old configuration, the big half mile, and they put on a great show. Um, this was uh, it might have been the Blue Gray. I remember it was, it was towards the end of the year, so it's probably the Blue Gray race. And uh, Ricky, man, he just he had that track dialed in. The old Cherokee, there was it was one. It was very fast. It was very high banked, um, and it was one just particular line kind of like a withful line that you had to run to be able to pass kind of like going in high coming off low yeah with. that kind of thing you you come in you come in the corner and just kind of dip down in the middle but come off high and a lot of guys they would come in try to stay low and then they just wouldn't have that trash come off the corner and ricky just had that line down perfect and that's where you know, just one of the tracks they had many success but uh uh, and it, even still today, I know he's got some age on, but he's still uh, out there racing today. The little um, the Blue Ridge outlaw, Ridge, yeah. and uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's probably got the most wins on that. Because every time I look up the results, you know he's winning, won the championships and stuff. So um, yeah, he, he as the four local guys, Ricky Weeks was the man. I always put, you know, Ricky obviously was was incredible. Just you read off the stat line, awesome accomplishments. Uh, the fan base for him. And I remember always the fan base for Rambo. Yeah. When Rambo was really, really going strong there in, in, in the early 2000s and stuff. I mean, it was – it was. I think that's really a perfect mix for this because it's a local guy mm -hmm. who is still technically traveling, even though it's not – he's not going to Ohio or Wisconsin like the national guys do, but he's still willing to travel and get out there and – and and get wins, not yep. just show up points. He, he was getting, like you said, a lot of wins. Well, he, he's the the atypical regional guy. You know that 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 tour was designed for regional racers. It, it's to give them an opportunity, you know, to run for a points championship. You know, make some extra money. All their races are going to be, I think, a minimum of four thousand to win. Um, so it's it's like you said, it's just the perfect combination. It's a local guy who can travel. You know three to four hours and hit all these tracks, make some money, and uh, and he was he was the man everywhere he went. Yeah. So that is our nod to kind of the local heroes, the weekend warriors that we grew up, and some of them we still uh, watch race. We even had a few honorable mentions we could have <laughs> added in there, but for time's sake, we'll move on to the big daddy, the national list, the one that it was it was terribly tough on, I know, my part to get this down to a top five because I've included – Drag racing, NASCAR, dirt late models, sprint cars, Indy cars, and Formula One. And, you know, God forbid we'd add it into two-wheeled racing. <laughs> we'd, we'd have been here for a lot longer. We'd have been here for hours. I always feel like I should apologize to these drivers I left off the list because they have so many accomplishments. But that I really had to stay in the frame of mind of, yes, he was good. And he may even have had better stats, but when I think of – you know, racing from my from my lifetime so far. When you say you know NASCAR, this is going to be the ice. I, I immediately think over. When you say you know drag racing, whatever. So I really had to keep it personal. So listeners, you're probably going to disagree with our list. I about guarantee you're going to disagree with our list. But this is just on a personal level. And also, we have to keep in mind that this is not greatest of all time. So when we mention these names, we are not crediting them with accomplishments from before we were alive or cognizant of what was going on doesn't mean they didn't accomplish it but like just for example on my list 
Dale Earnhardt only gets credit for four titles because I was born in '88. Right. I wasn't around in '80 and '86 and '87. So you have to you have to remember that. That's something that I think I had to remind myself a few times when I made this list. Was like just because they raced in part of their era was in my life, I can't give them credit for the whole thing for this specific list because I'm trying to keep it '88 on for me. Well, just curious, um, what age or year when you really start remembering? racing you know just in general like for me i i I was told that i went to uh rockingham to watch a bush race when i was three years old with my dad i don't remember nothing about it obviously but like around that five year six year old range i remember going to darlington with my dad and i'm pretty sure that was in 94 maybe uh so i've been seven really then but you know kind of that five six seven range is when I really start remembering, okay, I remember going to this race. I remember seeing this car and stuff. What what kind of year or age was that for you? Mine was 92, uh, not 92, 93. I was four. I was turning five in August of 93 because the, my first memory of racing is the 1993 Daytona 500. My uncle, uh, Bert Schaffner, was building engines for Penske. So we were a Rusty Wallace family, not just a household. I got you. And Rusty Wallace got turned over on the backstretch and, and pirouetted and flipped about nine times. And an emotional me went crying to my room. <laughs> my birthday cake on my fifth birthday had Rusty Wallace on the cake. <laughs> and my uncle got him to autograph a picture of it for me. I think I still have that that's somewhere. Cool. That's cool. So that's probably my first memory. But as far as like being aware, probably six or seven. Okay. But... I think in fairness to this, the stuff from 88 to the 92, 93 part, I've gone back and watched a ton of it. YouTube, thank God for YouTube yeah. and Dirt Vision and some of the stuff so you can go back okay. and watch a lot of it. But that's that's kind of when I became cognizant. Okay. Yeah, that we're kind of the same time frame. Like I remember bits and pieces and stuff, but as far as I like vividly remember, I'd say probably that 93. Two to ninety four range is kind of when I really started picking up on it. We just grew up watching so much racing because yeah. we were. I know for me, it was a speedway Friday night with my grandpa. Saturdays we'd rotate to you know, three eleven South Boston, Orange County. We would sometimes we'd go to Caraway, um, and if we weren't at a race, you know, we watched every NASCAR race on Sunday, mm-hmm. the Bush race, uh, Speed Vision. That old man watched two channels, Speed Vision and Westerns. <laughs> <laughs> so we watched a lot of racing. Good, bad, ugly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot of gun smoke. That's right. That's right. So, but, um, you know, and with technology now, there's so much stuff you can just go back and watch, and you're just like, man, I wish I'd have seen that live, yeah. but I'm glad I can see it now. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you on that. So, now it's time to make everybody mad. All right. <laughs> now we dive into top five, and we're going we're gonna to ping pong this. So, I'll give my five, Buddy will give his five, four, four, three, three, and then we'll disagree along the way. Um, but you know what? Before we get into that, why don't we each pick either one or two honorable mentions that didn't make our top five that were at least in our research. And I'll, I'll start first on this one because I, I made you go first on the local one. <laughs> Someone I left off this list that I hated that I left off. Uh, the Rocket Man, Josh Richards, from Dirt Late Model Racing. Um, unprecedented success in the World of Outlaws Late Model Racing. He's the only four-time champion of that National Touring Series. 76 outlaw wins. I mean, incredible stats for Josh. He was driving for a great team, but the team didn't drive the car. Josh still drove the car. And still somebody that when we talk today about talent, just pure talent in a Dirt Late Model 
Josh Richards gets put in the top five just on town alone. So I hated he didn't make my top five, but I mean, golly, Josh Richards, what what a run just in our lifetime because I think he's about our age actually. Yeah, uh, I think he's 32, 33, something like that. Uh, yeah, Josh, you know, obviously his dad's Mark Richards, uh, owner and, and founder and builder uh, for the Rocket Chassis. Um, Phenomenal talent, like you said. Uh, I mean, he holds so many records and whatnot, and, and still a lot of great years left for him. Uh, currently with the Clint Boyer racing team, uh, still very successful. I can't talk too much about him because he might show up on my list a little later. I know uh, Casey Roberts is a big fan of his yeah, yeah. <laughs> from an incident at Friendship that we saw. But so like that ring imprint on his forehead. Yeah. Right? Like, so, what's one of your honorable mentions? Uh, this is. I'm just gonna say these guys are were great, but they didn't quite make the list uh, for me. Um, it's actually going to be a 1A and a 1B, uh, both IndyCar drivers slash car drivers. I'm going Scott Dixon, 1A, and Dario Franchitti, uh, 1B. Uh, Scott Dixon, five championships, uh, 29 poles, 45 wins, 112 podiums. Um, he only has one Indy 500. Yes, you know, that's more than I'll ever have. But uh, Dario Franchitti, uh, with four championships, uh, won three in a row. Uh, 21 wins, 57 podiums, and 23 poles. Uh, Champ car, uh, 10 wins with the Champ car guys. Um, And he has three Indy 500s. So uh, kind of 1A, 1B. Uh, Early years watching Indy car, you know, both those teams just stick out to me. Both those drivers stuck out to me. Dario Franchitti probably has a little more success outside of IndyCar as well with the the road racing stuff. Uh, He ran some of the VH supercars in Australia. Uh, Scott Dixon, um, still from time to time uh, doing the the IMSA stuff, uh, the prototype racing stuff. So uh, both great drivers. It's not quite good enough to make my top five. That open wheel one, especially for IndyCar, is just so tough because you have so much discourse. You had USAC, and then you had CART, and then – in 96, the Indy Racing League comes in, and it just it, – it, I think it all had negative impact on the popularity of the sport. And the drivers got caught in the middle, like, like you know, where am I going to run? I can't cover all my bases. So that, that hurts them, I think. And it's crazy to think, you know, when we were kids, IndyCar was the premier open-wheel racing. Um, yeah, Indy, know, yeah IndyCar, Indy 500 was a killer. And, and, and I mean, it's still very popular, but as far as open-wheel racing, you know, here recently, uh, it's been F1, but IndyCar was more popular than F1. Like, you had F1 guys coming to IndyCar to, to race. Yeah, I think it was 91, the defending world Formula One champion. I forget his dang name. Was that uh, Senna? No, I don't think it was Senna. I remember Despain talked about it because he was like, the, the height of of cart was 91 when they got the top formula one guy to come run for him yeah which is unheard of now exactly you wouldn't do that now except for the indy 500 it's reverse now you know you got guys that you know your best indycar guys can't even get a ride in f1 hardly so um it is just crazy to see and i I agree with you with when you start splitting up and you have so many divisions and everybody's trying to get a piece of the pile there's not enough pie left to go around and now we see indycar suffering today unfortunately my last honorable mention, boy, I'm leaving some of my honorable mentions. Um, I had, I, ooh, boy, <laughs> I'm making myself mad. I left Lewis Hamilton off my top five, <laughs> and I know that he's probably on your top five. I, I left him off there just so I wouldn't have two Formula One guys in my top five. There is someone that beats him. I won't name him yet, but I did leave Lewis Hamilton off, but I mean, golly, six world titles, 83 wins, 150 podiums. You turn on a Formula One race, Lewis Hamilton is probably winning or is near the front. And what probably more recent fans that are on the Lewis Hamilton bandwagon fan or bandwagon don't know, 
Not all those were Mercedes. That first one, I think, was was that Raynal or was that uh, Williams, McLaren? Right? Was it Williams? Uh, he, uh, I know he had a short stint with Williams, and it might have been might have been McLaren. I think it was McLaren. It was McLaren, right. and, and because that because that was a big controversy uh, when he made that switch. Because McLaren was a top team, and then when he made that switch to Mercedes, uh, he was like, "What's this guy doing?" And then you know we see Mercedes now. You know they're they're top dogs. So yeah. yeah. Sorry, I left him off my top five. Hey, you ain't got to talk to me. <laughs> I, I appreciate him. I am not a fan. Yeah. But I, pre- I appreciate all he's doing. So, anyway, you want to get one more before we get into the list? Well, oh, man. Um, so, You're going to have to leave somebody off again. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think the way I'm going to do it is whenever I give my driver, I'm just going to give a very quick honorable mention per because there's just too many guys I can't leave off. All right. So, now here comes the top five. Okay. So on Tyler's number five, Tyler's number five on my list, I'm going with Jimmy Johnson, who actually just announced that next year is going to be his last full-time year in the Cup Series. Uh, just in my lifetime, seven championships, I think five of them in a row. And I know the point system is controversial. I don't like the point system. I don't think racing suits itself to a playoff-style format. Our sport isn't like ball and stick where you know, we – Everybody competes every race in, in, in racing. They don't do that in other sports. So, but it's not Jimmy's fault. He just raced. He didn't come up with a point system. And they kept changing it, trying to keep him from winning. But then I look also at the win total. And it's hard to combat 83 wins. He's sixth all-time on the wins list behind guys like Gordon and Pearson and Petty. And, I mean, he's ahead of some really awesome names. So, Jimmy Johnson and NASCAR – as much as I did not like him because he was winning so much, and at times I thought he was too clean-cut and too corporate, the talent behind the wheel is, at least in a NASCAR in a NASCAR Cup car, was just incredible. He rivaled Jeff. I think he was actually better than Jeff Gordon, and that's an unpopular opinion, but he's got more rings. He's got more wins. He's almost got more wins. He's got more championships. He just... He epitomized a big chunk of my lifetime in NASCAR. So, Jimmy Johnson from NASCAR is my number five. My number five is Jimmy Johnson from NASCAR. Hey, we there agree. We Look at that. All right. Um, yeah, Jimmy Johnson, I mean, he was the man from uh, 2002 when he first came in. Um, I know last couple of years he's struggled a little bit. Um, that was a tough one to put him because when I think like NASCAR, like in that 90s and stuff, it was Jeff Gordon at first. But when I started looking at the stats and stuff, I mean, Jeff Gordon had that ridiculous run from like 96 to 98. Was that one year he won like 13 races uh, yeah, or something crazy? He, I mean, he was just ridiculous. And uh, and this is not my Earnhardt bias, the reason why I didn't pick Jeff Gordon. I, I appreciate, looking back on it, I really appreciate the uh, just the rivalry and what it did for the sport. I mean, it helped grow the sport. But, I mean, Jimmy Johnson, man, in the, in the 2000s era, he was the man, like you said. 83 wins, uh, seven chase uh, championship wins there. Um, from 2002 to 2013, he did not finish worse than sixth in the points. That, that is, is incredible. That is, that is uh, the five in a row. Like I said, it's, I, I call him a chase champion, not a true champion, but you know that's just my Earnhardt bias because he ain't a seven-timer like Earnhardt and Petty, in my opinion. But uh, Can't compare errors. Nah, that know, goes back I to know, our I thing. Know, I know. But, no, he, that's why we can't compare exactly. errors. Even Man, the point system was different. It, absolutely, because if, he, if it was off of standard points, he'd only have five championships. Yep. So, and Gordon would have had – I think six. I think Jeff Gordon would have had six 
under the class. They call it the classic points on jayski.com. Yeah, and uh, at Gordon, uh, th- this was the reason. Another reason why I did Jimmy Johnson of Gordon, because in that time frame of Gordon's uh, time frame from like the '94ish, I think on up, he had 93 wins. Uh, so more years, 93 wins. Jimmy Johnson from 02 to current is at 83 wins. So he's he's won at a, a more rapid rate, you know, higher percentage, if you will. Uh, my very quick uh, sliding on for mention for NASCAR um, was going to be Kyle Busch. I know there's a lot of controversy with the amount of wins and stuff because he did run in the lower divisions, but I don't care what you're doing. 208 combined wins over the top three series, that, that is impressive. Again, you know, you're the premier guy and you're stepping down to the minor leagues, but still to be able to go out there, you know, put the laps together, even if you do have the best equipment, you still have to drive the car you or truck yeah. in this uh, case. So uh, very quick honorable mention is going to be Kyle Busch, who, you know, congratulations on his uh, championship for this year, number two for the Cup. You can't deny the talent, no yep. doubt. So now – so. Okay, let's let's. I think we're going to get done agreeing now. (laughs) Now, my number four, I go IndyCar, and I go, I'm going 88 on, Alonso Jr. I go Alonso Jr. for a couple of reasons. Number one, of his four championships, he splits them. Two of them are USAC championships, and two are CART championships because IndyCar, not like NASCAR, we talked about this a second ago. There was a great divide. You know, the reason CART even came to exist is because they got tired of how USAC sanctioned the Indianapolis 500. So, Alonso Jr. to win two USAC titles and two CART titles. Also, two Indy 500s, which is the fact you even win one. It's incredible, which is why it hurts for me to leave Helio Castroneves off this <laughs> list because Helio won three. But he doesn't have the titles like Alonso Jr. has. And then 34 wins. Uh just incredible because in that time in the 90s, I mean, IndyCar racing was, I mean, it was incredible. Just the talent that was out there, the money that was out there. It's, seen, it's tough to see it now because IndyCar has had to regress so much and there's not as many cars out there. And you look at it now and you're like, man, you know, this is cool. But I'm like, man, if you'd have seen it in the 90s, especially those early oh. 90s when we were kids. I mean, Michael Andretti, Christian Fittipaldi. Um, you know, Gilles DeFerrin, just so much talent. And for me, it was tough. I could not find a better one than Al Unser Jr. for our lifetime. That's a, that's a great pick. Uh, Al Unser, I mean, obviously the last name Unser is synonymous with open wheel racing. Um, one, and he ran NASCAR. I forgot about that. He ran some NASCAR. He ran some NASCAR stuff. Uh, and, and one thing about Unser with with IndyCar, for, if you don't know um, – for you know some of the fans who don't know much about IndyCar, uh, they kind of they have an overall series championship, but they do a split between the road courses and the oval. So you have like an oval champion and a road course champion. Now Hunter was one of those guys who were good at both. Like now you turn on the TV, there's guys who are you can really tell the difference between one over the other. Um, so uh, that that's a good pick. Uh, I'll move on to my number four, which is someone you left off your list, was uh, Mr. Lewis Hamilton. Uh, technically, in my lifetime, Michael Schumacher had more stats, uh, or better stats, excuse me, but I, I didn't really start following, following Formula One until Schumacher was kind of making his way out. Uh, but... In my lifetime as a fan of Formula One, Lewis Hamilton has been the man. Uh, from 2007 to current, we've already kind of hit on it. Uh, the 83 uh, wins, 
he has a winning, a career winning percentage, thirty-three percent of the races. So at one out of every three races he he has entered, he's won. If he's playing baseball, it'd be a Hall of Famer exactly. with that average. Exactly. <laughs> um, he's he's finished on the podium sixty percent of every rate of the races he's entered. Uh, the eighty-seven poles in two hundred forty-nine races. His average, his career average start is three point nine. His career average finish is fifth. That is re- that's video game numbers. That is just ridiculous. Um, and he has not finished worse than fifth in points in the thirteen seasons that he's run i mean at that level it's incredible it's just, it's just ridiculous you're running not just it's not just different tracks you're running different continents you're <laughs> and and also i think the dedication to his craft he's done he you know he he does a lot of stuff that you don't see that keeps his mind straight and his and the hand-eye coordination and also in these formula one races and i'll get to it with who's on my number two is uh you don't have as many laps to work with. It's not a 500-mile race. you got like 60-something laps. I mean, you goof up. You might not get time to really make that up. The way I, I explain Formula 1 to you know my friends who are all NASCAR or all dirt or whatever, and they just don't get it, is, A, these are the most technologically advanced cars on the planet. I mean, there's just ridiculous the amount of technology in these cars. Uh, but Formula One racing, it's a different style of racing. You're not going to have your pack racing, and you know, like you see in NASCAR and other stuff. It's the driver against the track. You have to... You're attacking the track. Yes, there's going to be cars in your way, and you have to deal with them when they come, but you're attacking the track. You have to be hit those numbers, hit your marks every single lap, and like you said, just one little goof up. I mean, their pit stops are like three seconds. If yeah. you if you, if you you lose one second on pit lane, I mean, that's 10 car lengths on the track, which makes a big difference as close really now as the cars are. Um, but you're, you're attacking the track, and now where they don't allow you to fuel the cars, all you can do is tire changes. You have to manage your fuel. You have to manage these tires because you have different compounds that you can run. You sauce all the way up to hards. Um, you're racing in the rain. You know, you're not going to see that on a NASCAR, uh, on an oval or anything like that. So there's so many factors into it, and it's, it's driver against track while keeping everything underneath them and having enough at the end to where you can turn that computer wide open and just blaze some laps around through there. And I think it goes without saying, of all the disciplines of racing, it's definitely the most expensive. There, <laughs> when, when they tell Gene Haas, we don't know if you got enough money to run with us in Formula One, Gene Haas got enough money to buy out probably both our family trees and then have about $300 million left. I mean, when you're, incredibly expensive. Of so much money in this race. When your fans show up to the race in yachts. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Monte they, Carlo. They, yeah, yeah. They, they ain't showing up in the 87 Winnebago. Yeah, or the 92 Lumina van. <laughs> That's right. Now to my number three, Tyler's number three. I'm going straight line. And I'm going with the guy. He's number three on this list. But if we did interviews, he is number one and then some. I am talking about the best funny car driver ever, Mr. John Force. And I'm just, these are just the stats from 88 on. John Force, 16, 16, 1 6 funny car championships. Tony Schumacher, I gave a nod to an honorable mention. He has eight top field championships. But for John Ford, 16 funny car titles, number one, his most entertaining interview any of us have ever heard. His interviews include all kinds of inappropriate content <laughs> that I won't repeat. But I also think about, we talk about how racing changes. Mm-hmm. And even from 88 on, funny cars are incredibly different. And he is the constant, and he's almost 
lost his life. I'm there's a couple of those wrecks I watched live that I thought, man, he's gone. And he even said like, yeah. I should have been dead. And he's come back from him each time. And I know he's beat to snot. He's old. He's got the white hair, but he can still hit the tree and he can still make runs. And even as he rotates crew chiefs, car manufacturers, sponsors, and partners, the constant is John Force. I mean, he'll get buried in a funny car. <laughs> yeah. He ain't. He ain't. He's tried. If, yeah, I'm about to say, but I, I could not leave John Force off my list. He's my number three. Yeah, John. John Force. Just, I mean, non-race fans know that name, and uh, the, the impressive thing is, like you said, the amount of change that he has seen in that sport, and he's just been consistently good throughout all of it. You know, going from a quarter mile to a thousand foot. The just the, the aerodynamics on the cars and all the safety stuff that they've done to it, going from the the four clutch to the five clutch to the six clutch, um, and more impressive to be that consistent uh, and that good. And he's running his own operation, so not only does he have to focus on being a driver and getting his car down the track, he's got a he's on the phone with sponsors every day, just knocking down the doors trying to get money. He's got to manage his team. He's got his daughters, you know, involved in racing and all this stuff. So I mean, th- that is a racer racer man that, and he came from nothing came from like nothing. some of these yep. other people in drag racing that <clears throat> nothing against them but they just they came in with more resources like i think a schumacher right. and i think a, uh the grays and stuff and i look at john force and i go back and listen to old interviews where he talks about living in a single wide and yorba linda and you know just barely having spam in the can and going racing mm-hmm. So anything, anything that he has, I, I, I respect it in a different way because it all came from racing, kind of like the Petties. Like the Petties didn't come into racing with money. And I look at kind of John Force that way. Like he, everything he has is from racing. He does not come from anything. And I think that's what makes him really relatable to your old hot rodders because your most of your old hot rodders, man, that's their hobby. They they get home from work or they got a free Saturday. They're out in the garage and they're tinkering on something. And that and that's how John Force got into drag racing. Is he built his own cars? He went to the local strip and that's how he started. And and I think that's why. And like on the NASCAR side, like that heyday in the '80s and stuff. That's why so many people could relate to those guys because they they built this stuff. You know, they didn't have you know the money, the resources, stuff like you said. So, um, my number three. Uh, this is the only uh, one I guess I'm actually a, a huge fan of, and that is going to be uh, my opinion. The greatest dirt late model driver of all time is Scott Bloomquist. Okay. Um, Scott's been been racing for thirty plus years, but um, he's really the probably the main reason why I am such an addict as I am uh, with dirt late model racing. Um, first time I remember seeing Scott run was a Have a Tampa race at three eleven, and um, he rolled out. He had just switched from the black eighteen to the zero, and uh, he rolled out. Was he, had, building, was he building his own cars yet, or was he running that Masters build? He was, he was, still, he was still with Masters built then, and uh, it, when he just rolled out on the track, just that paint scheme, that's the first thing just immediately, and I was like, holy cow, who is this guy? And so that just drew my interest there, but we could spend the uh, the next hour me telling you all everything this dude's accomplished and everything, but uh, just a few just quick hits. Uh, from 1990 to 2016, he, overall he has 13 national touring titles, whether it be Have a Tampa, World Outlaws, Lucas Oil, uh, UMP Summer Nationals. Uh, since 1994, he has 43 wins of $30,000 or more. 
and I could list all of those. He's, you know, all the Pittsburgh 100s, all the Dirt Track World Championships, all that stuff. But just to kind of combine it there, 43 wins of $30,000 or more. Um, of course, at the Fane Nail Door, he has the most uh, dreams, uh, tied for the most worlds, uh, but eight dreams between 95 and 18. That's a $100,000 race right there. That's $800,000 in one race yep. that, that you've won. So um, an, another kind of self-made guy um, from California. His dad didn't have – much interest in racing um scott goes with a friend to a racetrack a little dirt track there he says hey i think i can do this tries to talk dad into getting him a car dad says no so he he works up saves up gets a car builds it himself dad agrees to take him to the track he said i'm giving you one race he goes out there wins that race um, <laughs> and and then as you know as it gets better on the on the local deal you know he's just he's just that guy that he wants to be the best he wants to be the best innovator he and he wants to win every single race um I feel really bad for leaving him off my top five. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I didn't have the stats that you do because you're just, you're such a Bloomquist. Oh yeah, but th- this is the one guy I did not have to look stuff up for. Uh, but uh, one just real quick story, and then uh, we'll move on. Uh, I was reading about he when he moved it moves to Tennessee because back then, like your your guys, um, like the guys to beat, I guess would be Larry Moore. Um, Rick Auckland was was the man, and then Jeff Purvis. Yeah. And he he wanted to be the best, and so he he moved from California to Tennessee so he could race against these guys. That's crazy to start with. And uh, the first race uh, again, this is when Super Late Models were running. You know, every Saturday night, Friday night, whatever, as part of the regular show. Uh, track in Tennessee, they were paying twenty five hundred to win for the Super Late Model race, and you know, back early eighties, that's pretty good money. And he pulls in the pits, and there's Larry Moore. And uh, his buddy said, well, you know, we're running for second place tonight. And Scott goes out there, uh, qualifies on the outside pole. Larry Moore is on the pole. Is on the pole. He's, he's outside pole. They go in uh, turn one. Scott's leading, coming off the backstretch, and he wins the race. The next week, Scott's on the pole. Larry Moore's on second and never saw him again and it just that that's just a, a little inkling to how this guy just how he ticks he wants to be the best and he's not afraid of the challenge you know when davenport just and the whole run lead guys when they just read just redid how late models were were built and and drove um you know in that 2014-2015 season you know a lot of guys are getting their butts kicked every week and scott took that challenge and yes he got his butt kicked for the first half of the year but if you look at the he stats, was at least close if you look at the stats at the last half of that year i mean he's national 100 he's winning that charlotte he won blue gray so i mean he took that challenge and accepted so um yeah that was my man uh real quick honorable mention for the dirt late mall guys i'm just gonna do a combo here with the rocket house car number one yeah that that's hard to yeah. split you know, josh richards as you mentioned earlier and then brandon shepherd what he's doing in that car now uh but he, he's just a man to beat every weekend 19 wins this year almost broke the record which is set by josh richards uh combined to have the most wins most top threes most poles most heat race wins i mean they they are world outlaw let's models. see if josh has four world outlaws championships how many does ship have is it three he's got, he's got uh, well he had was it two, was it two? this year yeah. i know he won this year yeah and then he had the one previous because he was running um the best performance car with the lucas oil guys okay so that one but yeah, yeah that that rocket house car will go down in history as probably one of, if not the best teams in dirt late model racing. And, and I know our local guys, uh, you know, the Black Six with the Runways and stuff. And the only reason I did not mention them is because most of their stuff was regional. Yes, they ran the tour with Davenport a couple years ago, and whatnot. But guys like Richards and Bloomquist, when you're doing it on the national level against the best of the best, traveling, going all these different tracks, to me, that's a little more impressive. All right. So now I get to my number two. And my nod to Formula One that is not Lewis Hamilton, 
I I could not take him over Michael Schumacher. And I did make sure it was just from 88 on. But Michael Schumacher, seven world championships, 91 wins, the podiums, 156 podiums. And for Schumacher, I think I started paying attention about eight or nine years old uh, to some of the Formula One stuff. And I just remember I, I kept hearing Schumacher, Schumacher, Schumacher. And then I went back and looked at some stuff. And then I paid attention uh, kind of not as much as I pay attention now. But, I mean, just looking back at it, I mean, Michael Schumacher just, I mean, when you talk open wheel racing, you have to put him in there. If you did IndyCar and Formula One and on a combined Mount Rushmore, I think you have to have Michael Schumacher in there, um, which makes it all the much more sadder, the accident that he had, because you just know – I mean, what an incredible talent he was. And while he doesn't have the stuff stateside, um, which I think he would have been incredible at, he stayed in Formula One. That was his thing, and that's what he accomplished. So I had Michael Schumacher number two on my list for all his Formula One accomplishments. Yeah, Schumacher, that was the first name I really remember, too. Uh, I had an old video game, a uh, Formula One video game, and um – I just remember he was always like the toughest car to beat. So uh, I didn't. I, I just wasn't privy to be able to watch those races back then. Uh, but I knew the name. Well, you were on Bunny Ear Cable. That's right. My dad upgraded to. I think it was. I don't know if it was Prime Star or what it was. You were lucky you got Channel Two. This is how I learned about races back then. We we would go to these races and they hand out the free Speed Sport magazines. And it's from four months ago, man. I'm like, holy cow, Michael Schumacher won this week, or you know, John Force, some of these other names. But um, yeah, I, I knew the name and I, I knew that I knew that red car, you know. And um, but once I started really getting into it, it was very very soon he had his accident stuff and just kind of fell off. But I. Uh, quick Michael Schumacher uh, fact if you did not know uh, the very popular TV show Top Gear the British uh, TV show uh, they have the driver in there called the Stig that goes out there and races the cars and stuff now I don't know if it was him the whole time but they did do a show one time where they did a big reveal of him pulls the helmet off and it's Michael, Michael Schumacher, Schumacher. yeah <laughs> That's incredible. All right, now we're up to your number two. Now my, we're getting down to it. My number two, uh, I am going to go with the name you have already mentioned. That would be Mr. John Force. Um, with when I think drag racing, John Force, um, I was a big Kenny Bernstein band, fan back in the day, and then um, and he was more top fuel. Uh, but when he switched uh, to the funny cars, I was like, I can't pull for you because you know I already got John Force there. Um, but like you said, greatest interview in all of motorsports. Uh, but his stats are ridiculous: 151 wins. He has, and that's 53 more than second all time. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, the 16 championships, 10 in a row from 1993 to 2002, uh, five as an owner um, as well. Uh, and then 158 number one qualifiers. I'll say also for John Force, probably, if not, the longest running sponsorship or partnership, yeah. I should say. I wouldn't know Castrol GTX <laughs> from the Walmart brand oil yeah. that I have used because we don't have a lot of money in our household. <laughs> but, I mean, he, to me, put that brand on mm -hmm. the map. And he, he because he was always winning, and obviously his interviews were always great. But I mean, that was of all the guys I look on the list, it's hard for me to find somebody who had a longer partnership run. Maybe Jimmy Johnson will lose, yeah. but John Force and Castrol. I mean, that's 
you thought of Castro, you thought of John Ford. Yeah, yeah. He was synonymous with Castro and Ford Mustang. And yep. so when he switched over to Chevrolet, I was like, oh, what is happening? This dude got saved or something. I don't know. But uh, When that, the green came off the car, yeah. that that to me was like the equivalent of STP coming off the petty car. Yeah. That's how that's and it sounds weird because it's 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 sponsorship. It's not supposed to be an emotional thing or anything, but it's like it's synonymous. Exactly. And, and you, you've bought all this merch and swag and stuff that's got that on there. You know, I remember buying the Castrol and they give you the little die-cast cars. I got like eight of them out in my shop right now. It was just, you don't really see that as much these days. But like you said, these great drivers and a lot of these guys we've talked about, they've been synonymous. You know, Josh Richards in the Rocket One, Valvoline, Blue blue Number One. You know, yep. uh, he was off the list, but Earnhardt, Black Three, Goodwrench. You know, he was one of those guys that, when you think John Force, you immediately think Funny Car, you think Castrol, you think Green, Ford Mustang. Yep. All right. Now, down to our number ones. My number one, 88 Ford, greatest driver of my lifetime. It can be none other than the king of the outlaws, Steve Kinzer. And I had to be careful because I know Kinzer's career goes before 88. So I'm just looking 88 Ford, and I still could not find anybody that tops 12, 1, 2, 12 World of Outlaws championships running up and down the road 85, 90, 95, 100 times a year in a sprint car and just World of Outlaw wins. I did not count uh, or I didn't research rather the non-World of Outlaw sanctioned wins. 357. I mean, my goodness. I mean, just incredible. And I know, and some people bag, still bag on him like there wasn't competition, like there wasn't Doug Wolfgang and Steve Kinzer. And I mean, I mean, not Steve. I sorry, it says Steve Kinzer. <laughs> Doug Wolfgang. Sammy Swindell is the name I was trying to think of. You know, a young Donnie Schatz comes up. And obviously, toward the tail end of his career, he tails off and he has to use provisionals. But you can't turn on a sprint car race on TNN in the 90s and not be focused on Steve thinking it's Steve Kinzer versus everybody else and everybody. There's a lot of guys that had accomplishments, but I couldn't find someone better than Steve Kinzer. I mean, longevity and just success. And, and you know what? Jason Turner gave me grief on this one. Guy said something about Kinzer and he's like, well, we got to run, you know, hundred something times a year. I'm like, yeah, but he still had to win. Yeah. He still, just because he got more opportunity doesn't mean you hold back on 357 freaking world outlaw wins. And that's the national tour yeah. in sprint cars. I mean, God knows how many Knoxville national wins he has, and I didn't count those. I should have looked that up, but I couldn't. I couldn't top Steve Kinzer. Well, you know, I'm a Steve Kinzer fan, and uh, was a Steve Kinzer fan, I should say. Um, I mean, he, he's the king. You know, that's why he's he has that name, King. You know, you got King Richard, you got King Kinzer. Um, yeah, just you've said it all. I mean, the guy he was just pure dominance, and and. His level of competition over what f technically four decades yeah. that he's raced against the level he's he has seen all those people. I don't that ninety seven ninety eight year in my opinion was like the most competitive for the World of Outlaws. The names you mentioned, a few that you left off, Danny Lasowski after he teams up with Tony Stewart, uh, Stevie Smith was a very tough competitor back then as well, and then of course. You know they're running all these different regions, and then you had all your your regional guys who were you know outstanding. I mean that was probably the toughest as far as talent because you had five six guys that could legit win that championship. The 
Are, I don't want to interrupt you. Are you done with your Kenzer talk? Well, I was just going to say, like, and also for Steve, and I, this probably, this doesn't play into the 88 on, okay. but you talk about a guy who, along with your Doug Wolf gangs and your Sammy Swindells, that because of their dedication and how much they ran every year, brought sprint car, helped bring sprint car racing to the level it is now. It Because those guys, not only were they willing to go travel and do this, but they had the talent. They could put on a show. It was entertaining racing. And Steve Kinzer was obviously my top dog, but he's, you know, all those guys as well. They made sprint car racing as popular as it is today because there were a lot of hiccups in the road. This thing could have kind of gone away a little bit, but they, you know, Ted Johnson, World Outlaws, and Steve Kinzer are humongous reasons that sprint car racing is where it is today, where it is now we need to put in more seats at the dirt track in Charlotte right. to go see him run. I see, and, and much like Forrest Kinzer is another one that was synonymous with that green number eleven Quaker State. Yep, you know he's just one of those that was synonymous with that car. Which I'm so glad that was your number one because my number one also coming from the World Outlaw Sprint Cars, and this is probably going to be a shock to you, but I went Donnie Shots over Steve Kinzer, and okay. and I am a Kinzer fan, and I will boo Donnie Shots because I'm tired of seeing him win every single race. <laughs> and he drives a Ford. And he drives a Ford now, <laughs> which I like, but you yeah. you don't like that. But but I had <laughs> but being unbiased. And the reason why I did not put Kenzer as number one is because he did have a lot of his success in the 80s. And when I first started really noticing and paying attention and getting into sprint cars, he ran one year. Then the next year, he took his break and attempted the NASCAR stuff. So there was two years there I didn't see him. He, he attempted doing NASCAR. Uh, he actually qualified uh, for the Indy 500 and was running top 10 and had a late mechanical failure there and took him out there. I think that was 96. Yeah, Rob, Robin Miller said that is the only good thing that came from the CART IRL split, RIL split is that Steve Kenzer got to run the Indianapolis 500, yes. which is which – Thank God he got to. He deserved, as an open-wheel racer, he deserved being that race. And uh, he had some success with the IROC guys, too. Uh, didn't even think about that. But And then and then he comes back, and so when he comes back, that's when I'm you know really cognizant and, and paying attention to all that stuff. So in that time frame, he only won five of those 20 championships, and that was from 98 to 05. Um, Donnie Schatz, I've seen his whole career from 90, 97 on. So 97, he's Rookie of the Year. 10 championships uh, from 2006 to 2018. He won uh, four in a row, a 10-time Knoxville National Champions. That race pays $150,000. That is $1.5 million off of one race alone. Um, 299 wins, still trying to get that uh, 300th. Uh, and his most impressive season, 2014, 26 wins, 63 top fives, 80 top tens. And that was in 86 races. That's just consistency. Donnie Schatz, still the man to beat. He lost the title this year by a whopping four points. Um, he's he's – He's another one of those that kind of started on his own. He had his own funded team. He didn't just jump into a ride, and then he proved himself. And so he earned that Tony Stewart ride. Uh, he's had a great combination with uh, with his mechanics and stuff along the way. But, I mean, even to this day, when you show up to a dirt track or when you pull, uh, watch one on TV, Donnie Shots is going to be the man to beat. I think another thing on Donnie, just to piggyback on this year, to only lose the championship by four points, and in the middle of the championship run, he switches engine manufacturers. He, they switch over to the Ford because Tony Stewart Racing is affiliated with Ford Performance. And I know on open, I, th I don't know if it was open red, uh, it was the banquet. I think he said, you know, man, I was really hesitant. Oh yeah. You know about 
you switching over to this motor thing. He said, but we made it work. And to me, that meant a lot because, I mean, that's a that's arguably the most important part of your race car is the motor that makes it go. Uh, as far as just the mechanical side, you got to have the motor. Obviously, you got to have the aerodynamics and the wing and the setup, but the motor is incredibly important. But also with Donnie, another thing is when you watch him race, just if, if, if you don't know a stat, if you just go and watch him race, he hits lines on every track that no one else hits. You will not see someone else cut the middle of a racetrack the way Donnie Schatz cuts the middle of a racetrack. Nothing against the guys that bang the top all the time or that ride around the bottom all the time. I mean, just from the eyeball test, I remember watching, I'm like, man, no one else runs that line. Mm -hmm. And he just, vroom, he's up to the front from wherever he was coming from. The the engine change you were talking about, the crazy thing about that is they were leading the points when they made that decision. Like, what are you doing making this big of a change, you know, in the middle of a season where we're in a tight points battle and to still come up just a couple points shy, that's just amazing. Um, his driving style, like you said, you know, you got guys, you know, bottom feeding or pounding the cushion and he's just running in the middle or he's diamonding corners and so he's just doing stuff nobody else can do and i've heard no few drivers say you know when they get done with the race they ask where was donnie running they want to know where he's running and uh brad sweets uh he had a funny comment in the uh banquet he said he used to ask where uh, donnie shots was running and he got tired of hearing middle every time he's <laughs> <laughs> like but no one else could do <laughs> it nobody could do it you know it'd that's be your talent right there it's just slipped off in the middle and he could somehow hit that and make it work with and um i've heard donnie say where he really expanded that part of his driving was from running a late model and kudos to him to step out of something you know into a world that yes it's dirt but it's a completely different car and he's been successful there he's run some you know weekly stuff your local stuff and he just learned how to he's applied the way you drive a late model into sprint car racing and you're starting to see guys like gravel and sweet starting to ease in there you know they'll start running that middle lane or start dominating stuff but most of your guys that are coming from like the midgets and stuff where it's all a momentum game it's just pound the top and, and donnie's just been one of those guys that no I can do it differently and make you have to beat me that way. Yeah, I mean Donnie is Donnie is the standard of today. I mean when you when you watch anytime I come over to your house to watch Dirt Vision and we watch the sprint car races, there's two things you're keeping up with, or I'm at least keeping up with. I'm keeping up with, you know what? I make it three actually. Who's in the lead? Where's my driver? I like Sheldon Hardenshield, and in the back of my mind, I'm like, all right. Where's the 15 amp? <laughs> I know he's – and if you get inside 10 laps to go, you know he's coming. It doesn't matter It doesn't matter if you're in the cow pasture or you're in Knoxville. You're like, all right, where's the 15? I know he's he's coming. Unless he's broke, yeah. he's coming. And I, I, can't, I cannot recall how many times, like, the very rare times where he does have mechanical issues or blown tire or something like that. Or he never wrecks, but if he has to spin to avoid a wreck or something like that and he does go to the pits, I'm like – I'm not going to cheer because he's going to finish in the top 10. I don't care if there's still 24 cars out there. And sure enough, man, he just comes back every time. You know what's crazy? Both our number ones drove for Tony Stewart racing. Yeah. Obviously, Shots is 10 years more successful because he's in his he's he's more in his prime, whereas Kinzer was kind of toward the back half yeah. of his career. Um, but, hey, give a nod to Tony Stewart. <laughs> yeah. He had them both. He, he had, had an eye for talent. I remember he had – at one point, I think when Tony had the most drivers driving for him, and then I think he finally was like, all right, we're spending too much money. He had Donnie Schatz. He had Steve Kinzer. He had Brian Clawson running, I think it was, it wasn't Silver Crown. I think it was just a USAC uh, a National Midget. Had Brian Clawson. Had Bobby East, who uh, on USAC National Midgets is an incredible talent. 
kudos to Tony Stewart for giving these guys chances. Obviously, now he's down to one uh, with Donnie because he he doesn't probably have as much money coming in because he doesn't drive himself anymore. But I mean, how about how about the willingness to go get yeah. those guys. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I love seeing the guys who, who did make it big. Um, I guess most of the time that's going to be NASCAR these days. Uh, but pouring back into the avenue that got them there. You know, we're seeing Clint Boyer do it. Um, seeing Casey Kane do it. And uh, Tony do it. And shoot, Tony's racing himself now. So, um, yeah, always great to see that. Well, we didn't disagree as bad as I thought we would. <laughs> I thought we were going to have a knockout drag out. I hate – that Dale Earnhardt didn't make my list. I hate Jeff Gordon didn't make my list. And I'm trying to think. Yeah, I'm still – man, I might have made a mistake with leaving Lewis Hamilton off my list. But that's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Just off the cuff, just a question for you, off the cuff. Of all, all the drivers we just mentioned, some of them are still in their heyday, still doing their thing. But yeah. some of them are starting to kind of take the corner. Or, you know, guys like Jimmy Johnson is just about to retire. Of the – just a massive amount of talent now across any motorsport. I'll let you pick whatever motorsport. Oh just boy. what's what's one <laughs> young guy, and I'll say young, sub thirty. You think you know? Ten years from now, we could have he would be on our top five list. Just Ooh. who's? And I don't. You pick whatever motorsport you want, and just one young guy that you see right now that they're going to be able, they're going to be on the list like this. They're going to have these kind of accomplishments. Sub thirty is tough because. Kyle Busch, I think, is 34. Yeah. So, uh, I can't have him. Can't have Brad Keselowski. I almost, uh, as far as numbers go, I think Joey Logano will get close. But still ways to go on that one. It's it's tougher in NASCAR now because there's there's a bunch of, like, one-time, two-time champions now. There's not a lot of four- and five-time champions. A young guy, honestly, I think... And this is all dependent on what's going to happen with his turn for NASCAR. But David Gravel from, you know, he swept world finals. That in itself is crazy because mm-hmm. that is a hell of a field mm-hmm. at Charlotte. But David Gravel to sweep world finals, to win Knoxville Nationals, the just all the wins he piled up. He's up to, I think he was up to 50. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he's incredible. Yeah, incredibly young guy. Finished third in points. He's going to get a shot at NASCAR. I guess through that relationship with Jeff Gordon and Exalta, not I don't wish bad on him, but if he stayed full time in a sprint car, I think David Gravel is that's the first name really coming to my mind, honestly. Yeah, um, that that's a tough one because you don't know what discipline you know those guys are going to stay in because that's. If his if his talent translates to NASCAR, he's gone. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And, and we and we've seen Josh Richards, prime example, attempted and it just didn't pan out for him for numerous reasons, but it just didn't pan out for him. And so yeah, that's that's a tough one, John. To see which discipline they stay in. I would say if Bobby Pierce, uh, who's a super late model dirt driver, if he stay, stuck with dirt late models, I think he could be one of the all time greats. But I don't see that happening. He's already branched out a little bit into the NASCAR stuff, so he he's kind of have a has a question mark, and it really depends on which route he goes. Um, for outside of Bobby Pierce, not knowing what he's going to do, I'm going to go Formula One and and Charles. Well, if you're from Alamance County, it's Charles Leclerc, but Charles Leclerc, <laughs> uh, Charles Leclerc. I mean, first year with uh, the Ferrari guys and he's already better than his teammate Sebastian Vettel, and Sebastian Vettel is a a name that we really That's could a have put, name. we really could have put on formula for our Formula One list, but he's he's already, in my opinion, and it's not really opinion. Just watching the races, he outqualifies them, he outraces them a lot of the times. Uh, excellent car control. The what he did at Monaco this year is just 
amazing and a track you cannot pass at and to be able to pass cars uh he already you know first year he already has a win um the future is very very bright for that young man and if he sticks with ferrari or just sticks in four and one in general i think he's gonna be an all-timer all right here's another one real quick one just quick action we both agree john force is the best interview okay. of anybody on yes. any list yes so let's name someone under john force who is who is of your of your favorite drivers across these disciplines, at least the most entertaining in an interview because oh, no one will top John Force. Uh, Just uh, go listen to the Dale Junior download. Yeah. John oh, Force's yeah. interview. It's full. It's, of, it's him interviewing himself. Pretty it, much. Basically. <laughs> okay. Now is this is this off the names we've mentioned or uh, just off the disciplines? Just, uh, all in general, all encompassing in general. Someone that you love to just hear. Interview. Jimmy Owens. That's the first one that comes to my mind outside John Forrest. Jimmy Owens has the just that Tennessee draw. He picks on himself. He picks on others. He doesn't take it too serious, and he's he's always chomping that gum, smiling and stuff. And he's all he's just fun guy. He just seems like a fun dude. Ward Burton will never be top. <laughs> Ward Burton, my grandpa, I think he – I don't really know who he was necessarily. I don't think he had a guy, my grandpa Whitehead, but he wanted Ward Burton in the top five for one reason, so that Ward Burton had to give an interview. <laughs> and if you go look up on YouTube, Ward Burton is pissed. You hear his ones where he's <laughs> upset. <laughs> If you like John Boy and Billy, his attempt to say "cat skid steer loader," it's not. There's nothing to me other than John Force that beat a Ward Burton interview. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right, one more. Okay, la- I guess this will be the last one for me. Uh, just off the cuff. Last one until we think of something else. Yeah, last one until we think of something else. All right, uh, we left two wheelers off of our list. We sure did. Just off the top of your head, I don't care about stats stuff. Just off the top of your head, best two wheeler. I'm just gonna leave it open. Two wheel in general, best two wheel you've ever seen. Ricky Carmichael. Okay. Ricky Carmichael, not just off. Obviously, his Supercross speaks for itself. But I applaud Ricky for being willing to go try NASCAR. It didn't work out. He didn't. He didn't win. But I applaud him for at least making that commitment. He built a dirt track in his backyard just to run the four wheel cars on. I think he had a legend car that he would go out there and he would. He would do it every day. And it and even though it didn't work out, I applauded him for at least trying. And then when he came back to X Games, when he did, I think it was called Step Up, that competition in X Games, I mean, it raised the roof on that whole thing because all these guys, you know, Pastranas and, and all these guys that were doing tricks, they all grew up watching Ricky Carmichael. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, his his record is incredible. So it, it's I'm leaving out the super bikes and stuff, and I know I'm a sinner for that. But I mean, it was hard to it's hard to beat Ricky Carmichael. I would I would go. This is a tough one. But I'd go Bubba Stewart, man. I mean, James James Stewart as his his real name, but Bubba Stewart he he revolutionized that sport, which was already pretty revolutionized from guys like Carmichael and Prestana. But uh, that 2008 season motocross, he won every moto in every race. He swept that season, that, and that, that's motocross. You know, that's you know your outdoor supercross is your indoor stuff. Uh, I think somewhere around fifty wins for supercross, uh, four fifty wins. Um, I think he's ninety. He's second all time on on the motocross stuff, like right at a hundred. It's like ninety eight, ninety nine wins, something like that. Um, but I mean, he just the way he revolutionized the sport, and he was the man to beat there for that stretch in the mid to late two thousands. Um, the money that he brought in, he had a TV show. Um, just bringing it to where it was. I mean, he 
quote unquote invented the Bubba Scrub. I mean, yeah. he, he was doing he was doing stuff that nobody was doing on a bike, and I mean, he was just that amount of athleticism to see on a bike. I mean, to the scrub. If you guys don't know, like when you hit a jump, instead of just you know staying straight up, you whip. I guess would be. Uh, 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 like like you see that next hand and stuff you throw a whip and you want to get that bike vertical and it cuts off the amount of air time so you can get back down quicker and he pretty much just does you know came up with his own style of doing that and i mean now everybody does and now it. everybody Philip does it. You, have to, you have to do it now if you want to be competitive so uh yeah bubba stewart uh i was a big mike larocco fan but i didn't he didn't quite have the success. Uh, David Millsaps is another one. Um, he's just one that's kind of trans- traversed, you know, a few different uh, decades there. Not quite the success, but Bubba Stewart. Um, quick shout out to Valentina Rossi with the Superbikes. He was the kind of man back there too. And you know what? I think that's a good time to put a bow on it. I okay. think we, have, <laughs> I think we have definitely gone long enough for a Bojangles break. <laughs> that's right. But, uh, that was a ton of fun. See that? That's what we started this whole thing for. We got to have this conversation the way we wanted to, and I applaud you for coming up with the way to do it because i had a ton of fun looking it up brother it was a blast absolutely man this is one we can come back and do a part two or just uh all the guys that we did leave off for the different disciplines we didn't get to but yeah we're very fortunate to see some of the greatest of all time in their own right across many disciplines yep and just more to come that's right just got to watch dirt vision or get out to your local short track or dirt on dirt whatever subscription service you watch get out there and watch them. support it guys yeah. you got to support it Lo- locally nationally whatever the way the economy is and stuff we we all we all love it and enjoy it and entertain it but it takes money to make it go around so support it yeah so all right brother Thank you for listening to yet another edition of the Half Price Concessions podcast. Do us a favor and be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, or Pocket Cast. That way you can get updated every time we put out new episodes of the podcast. And if you really want to do us a favor, leave us a rate and review on any of those apps. It helps us out a ton in ratings and helps steer more people toward the podcast. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day.